Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Right, we, the, the, Satan is called a dragon in the Bible. He's a serpent in the Bible. He is a fallen creation of God. And over the last seven or eight weeks, we have peeled back the layers and taken a look at him in some detail, and I think in some ways that perhaps we hadn't thought about or haven't thought about lately. Because a lot of times when we think about Satan and satanic things, we think about crazy people going in the woods doing animal sacrifices, right? There's a temple to Satan, or there used to be, in Manchester somewhere. And they would do their little animal sacrifices. And, and we think of Satan as like the occult. And I'm not saying Satan's not part of the occult. I think he certainly is in, 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 in some ways. I think some of the occult is a joke on them. But certainly there is spiritual power that people derive from Satan through occultic means. I think I told you when I started this series that my wife has the spiritual gift of discernment. Um, each one of you that know Jesus, you have a gift. God has given you a gift. And her gift is discernment, and she can discern the spirits, whether they're good or evil. Okay, That's a biblical gift. Mine is pastor-teacher. Surprise. Um, hers is discerning the spirits. And um, I think I opened the series talking about how we went down to Salem, Mass., which I love Salem. I, I love history. Um, I shared with you that my great, 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 great grandmother was um, hung, I believe, as a, as a witch in Salem. So I have like a, a relational connection to that. Um, but we were walking down the street in Salem, and uh, we walked by this certain shop, and my wife gets, she just gets like goosebumps. She's like, ooh. Now me, I don't have the gift of discernment, so I'm like, what? And she's like, there's something wrong here. And I said, really? Let's test it. So yeah, you know the story. So we kept walking. This happened like last year or something, and uh, I had her close her eyes. This is my wife trusts me. Can you imagine? I could have done any number of things, but I had her close her eyes. She's got my arm, and we're walking back, and I'm not telling her where we are, and we got right to the edge of that shop, and she just shivered. She didn't shiver at the edge of some of the other silly shops with witch hats and tarot cards and silly stuff like that, but there was this one particular shop where there was an evil spiritual presence. Sometimes Satan does manifest himself in ways that are a visibly supernatural, visibly frightening. Like I would never let my kids use an, a Ouija board. 
just would never let them use it. Um, but there's some other games that are silly and people make a huge deal out of it and they actually give glory to Satan when he doesn't deserve it. There's people that'll say this, Satan made me do it. Well, Satan made me do it. Devil made me do it. Uh, the devil can influence you to do it, but if you're a Christian, he can't make you do it. He can influence you to do it. So, as we've peeled back the veil, I believe we have angered him. We have angered his minions. Uh, and I have felt it, and I know some of you have felt it. But here's what I'm really concerned about. I'm concerned that we have gone through a series of seven or eight messages uh, in that we leave this place as ignorantly as we came in, right? Uh, and willing ignorance, now you know what I'm going to say, there's ignorance, and to say to you, well, you're ignorant, is not an insult. It just simply means you don't know. So when I talk to Dave Damon, who is like a Mensa-level genius engineer dude, and we start talking about stuff, and he's talking about, I forget, we were talking about fans the other day and how the air moves over and, and, and all this kind of, everybody knows this. And I'm looking at him like, my eyes are starting to roll back in my head because I'm just like, dude, I know, not everybody knows this. Like, and this is beyond my ability to comprehend right now. Like, I, you've lost me and I'm like in the woods and it's dark and there's wolves howling and I don't think I'll find my way back now. So for, for, for me to be ignorant about software engineering, for instance, which is what Dave did, um, that's not an insult to me. Because, well, you're ignorant about this. Because I don't know. I've never really tried to learn it. I don't know it. And then if he teaches me and I learn it, I'm no longer ignorant. Or if he teaches me and I learn it, but I ignore what I learned, now I'm stupid. Right? Willful ignorance is stupidity. Now, I'm not looking to insult anybody today, but we've learned a lot about the devil, a lot about Satan in the last several weeks. And I really feel like sometimes we walk out of here and we put the blinders back on and then we just go about our life as usual when you have had a spiritual veil ripped off of your face and you have been exposed to the spiritual warfare that is going on around you and that you are involved in. And listen, you don't have a choice but to be involved in it. Right? And if we just leave this place and we forget the things that we have been taught, we are willfully ignorant. Because, listen now, we, we tend to want to forget it because it's hard. It's difficult to keep certain things in mind. Like Satan is an influencer. You want to talk about Instagram and Twitter. Those of you that are a little bit younger than maybe 30, you know like there's influencers. Their whole job in life is to be an influencer. Uh, some of you have seen the Netflix. Have you seen the Netflix documentary on the Fire Festival? It was a complete disaster but it was massively promoted through influencers. Satan is an influencer. He is influencing us to one thing or another. He is trying to influence us. He influences us through people we love. He influences us through our culture. He influences us by whispering directly into our ear. 
Right? We went over that last week. How does Satan whisper? He does it through people. He does it directly. And he does it through our culture. And so we walk out of this place and we have heard that and we know that and it's true. And yet we leave this place and somebody speaks to us in such a way that if we were walking without the blinders, we would immediately recognize this is not of God. But instead, what do we do? We listen. We listen. We ponder. We let it get in. We begin to mull it over. And the next thing you know, Satan has won another battle. He's won another battle between husbands and wives. He's won another battle between children and parents. He's won another battle between church member and church member. Guys, he is insidious. And he is really, really, really good at what he does. The greatest lie that Satan's ever told us began in the Garden of Eden. Not the lie that he looked at Eve and said, hey, hasn't God said you can eat of all the fruit? Not that lie. Not the lie where Satan says, oh, when you eat the fruit, you will not surely die. Not that lie. Those are two good lies, right? Not the lie that says, oh, God just doesn't want you to eat this fruit because he knows when you eat it, you'll become like him. Not that lie. The other lie. The lie that we didn't see written down in Genesis, but happened in the garden. The influence on Adam and Eve when they sewed fig leaves together to try to cover themselves up and cover over what they had lost. That was the very first instance of religion. Some of you are here this morning and you're Baptists and you're still stuck with an idea that says you can do something to save yourself. The Bible teaches us And the Bible was written by God through men that he called his agents, Paul, Peter, Moses, David. And through Paul, he taught us that by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Religion, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, I believe this, Satan whispered to Adam and Eve and said, sow fig leaves together. You can fix yourself. You can fix yourself. So they sewed the fig leaves together. But here's the truth about religion. Nobody really knows when they've got it right. You never know if you've done enough good things. You never know if you've lit enough candles. You never know if you gave enough money. You never know if you went to enough church services. You never know if you're moral enough. You don't know if you've tipped the scales in your favor. But that is what Satan has foisted on the world since almost the very beginning. And some of you here are listening to the influencer, the whisperer that is telling you, you can fix you. You can make it better. You can't. You need Jesus. 
And in John 3.16, Jesus lays it out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And for those of you that are stuck in religion, I hope that verse sticks in you and stays with you because you can't save you. You can't earn forgiveness. You can't wash away your sin. Only the blood of Jesus shed on that cross is potent and powerful enough to wash away our sin. Can I get a hallelujah? How about that? Come on, man. That's why we have the cross on our wall. Because without the cross of Christ, religion is empty. It's useless. It's vain. Without Jesus and His resurrection, the Apostle Paul said, we above all men are most miserable. Right? So, Religion without Jesus or religion that says you need Jesus and good works is dead. Galatians teaches us that by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. So for you that are here this morning and you somehow think that you are fixing yourself, that you are accomplishing for yourself what God sent His only begotten Son to accomplish for you, I hope right now you will recognize that Romans, Paul said in Romans, listen, there are none righteous, no, not one. Paul said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul said, but God commendeth his love. He displayed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? So now what you need to do is recognize, oh my God, I'm a filthy sinner. You just called me a filthy sinner? Welcome to the club. I'm a filthy sinner, but I need Jesus, and I asked Him to be my Savior. And this is what the Bible says. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Period. It's not whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and get baptized shall be saved. It's not whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and do good works shall be saved. It's not whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and turn over a new leaf shall be saved. It is recognize your sin, desire to be free from it. And yes, there is a turning away, right? You want to turn from sin toward God and say, I'm sick of this. I need something. I need to be clean. I need a new life. And he says, well, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh? Do you believe that Jesus' death on the cross was enough? To pay the penalty for your sin? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? And if you say yes, man, cry out to Jesus. Right now where you sit, just pray right now, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I want to be changed and I'm turning from that to you, God, in the name of Jesus. Save my eternal soul. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a new life. Man, and the Bible says, you shall be saved. The devil is whispering to you. It can't possibly be that easy. The devil is whispering to you, telling you that this is a joke, telling you that this isn't real, telling you that you can do something. And I want to challenge you. Stop listening. Stop listening to the wrong influencer. And instead, open your heart to God. And maybe if you're struggling right now, 
with those things that I've just said, say, God, would you show me this truth? Show me, God, if this be true or not. Open my heart, God. Give me the faith. Help me to understand. And I believe God will. And if you'd like to talk to somebody about that, my man Peter will be down here right after the service. I don't know if Debbie, Debbie, she broke her shoulder. And she is in church today. Hallelujah. And she's on pain meds, so she's going to tell you some really cool stuff. Come talk to her. Come talk to her anyways, just to find out what she says and come back and let me know. Um, now, come on. That's the greatest lie that the devil has ever sold, is that you can do something. Man, the only thing we can do is believe and cry out. It's like when you're drowning. All you can do is put your hand out and go, right? And God gave us a great illustration of that when he called Peter to walk on the water. And Peter's like, dude, check me out. Woo! And then he starts seeing the waves crashing around him. And as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, he starts sinking. And what does he say? He says, Lord, save me. And the Bible says, you know, as soon as Peter swam 50 yards back to the boat, as soon as Peter uh, started treading water, as soon as Peter, go, it doesn't say any of that. It says this, immediately, immediately, Jesus reached forth his hand and pulled him up. Man, that is the gift of God. And Satan wants you to think that you can earn it. You know, when we think we can earn what God has given to us freely, it's a slap, it literally is a slap in the face of Jesus. And that's what religion does. And Satan loves it when we slap Jesus in the face. He just loves He loves to take away the glory of God. He loves to diminish the glory of God. Now, this is our, this is our text for the series Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, right? Uh, we know that his strategy, it's an aim, it's a plan, it's a policy, policy designed to, uh, to achieve a major overall aim. How he does that is he uses these devices, and one of the devices, the last one we're really looking at, is the whisperer. He whispers, he influences, he talks. Last week we talked about the three methods he uses directly to our mind, from another person, and then in our culture. And today, today we're going to ask the question, or we're going to answer the question, how, how can we know when he whispers? How to know when he whispers, right? How to know when he whispers. How many times is he going to say that? Listen. He can whisper to you, through your own wife. My wife is a believer in Jesus. She's one of the best people I know. But if she's not careful, she can be influenced by Satan and then she can speak to me something that would be ungodly or wrong. Your wife? Don't act so surprised. I know everybody thinks that she's perfect and precious because she's tiny like a little cherub it could be me it could be me Satan could influence my kids to speak to me something that he's he's desiring for me to be influenced by in a negative way this is why I said the how is very important it's from people it can be from people. If you're not careful, you yourself can, 
hear the whisper of Satan in your mind, and then you can spread it. This is no joke. This is why Doug Manter's been praying overtime for this preacher, because he knows Satan does not want to be exposed. He doesn't want to be. And he will whisper in your ear, don't listen to what he's saying, don't listen to him, don't listen to him. That couldn't possibly happen. Not my wife. She couldn't be influenced. Not my husband. He's perfect. Those that are newlyweds. Those that are not newlyweds say, I thought I married Satan. This is no news to me. Right? Nah, I'm kidding. It's a, sort of a joke. How to know when you whispers. I, Paul, I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading. I am begging with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you, I beg you that when I'm present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. The whole story here is there were false teachers in the church. And these false teachers were literally agents of Satan, not agents of grace. I don't believe these teachers were believers at all. And they came into the church, and Paul warned the church in Acts, be careful. Jude warns the church, these false teachers have crept into your assembly, and you have been ignorant of them. Right? We're going to talk about how can we know? How can we know? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How can we know? In that passage, we see something very clearly. High things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Do you like my graphic? It's a lion taking down, I think, a wildebeest. I was upstairs watching some videos of lions. I saw one video where a lion took down a baby elephant. It was amazing. For some reason, these cats remind me of my dog, Edgar. Because he kind of prowls. He, he does that. And, and I'm watching this lion. And let me tell you, when this lion gets something in its mind, there's not a lot of things that get away from lions. And, and God told us through a letter that Peter wrote that we need to be sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may kiss on a face. Well, how many guys wouldn't want to be kissed like that? I don't think that wildebeest made it. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So, let's, let's break this down. We want to know how to know when he whispers. Now remember, he whispers to us through people in our own mind and through our culture. I'm preparing a series. I've already preached one. 
on the series I preached a while ago. It's called Worlds Collide, and we are, we are, my goodness, we are colliding right now. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So if you have your notes, you have your notebooks, you can write some of this down. Let's break it down. Things that are aligned against the revealed Word of God. Not your preferences. Things that are aligned against the revealed Word of God. What God has spoken. If it's aligned with things that are against what God has spoken, stop listening to it, right? Don't listen to it. Well, yeah, but it's true. It doesn't matter if it's true. Don't listen to it. Because ultimately, it's being used to manipulate. So if the goal is to turn you away from God, and Satan is using some truth to turn you away from God, that's called manipulation. Right? You follow what I'm saying? We can use true things to manipulate people. It's how we use the truth. Now, this can look like false doctrines which resist the truth of God and diminish His glory. Here's a false doctrine. You can save you. You can fix you. That's a false doctrine. You can't fix you. But when you say, as the Mormon church does, that in order to be forgiven of your sins, in order to be saved, right? When you say you've got to trust in Jesus as your Savior and continue that sentence and add to that and do good works and keep the sacraments and be moral and be baptized. You follow me? That diminishes the glory of Jesus. You follow? Because now you're saying that Jesus is not enough. And when you say Jesus is not enough, what are you saying? Well, you're saying He's not God, if you ask me. You're saying His sacrifice was almost good enough. And that diminishes the glory of God. Things that are keeping people from receiving the knowledge of God, the Gospel. It can look like twisting the Scripture for personal gain, for power. He warned us about that earlier in his letter. He said, we don't use our authority to manipulate you. Right? Um, it can look like many things, many barriers that we put up between the knowledge of God and the people who need Him. That can look like saying things that would turn somebody off to Jesus. That could look like posting things that could turn somebody off to Jesus. Now listen, being a Christian is more than being nice. But can I say that if you're a Christian, you ought to be nice? Satan has Christians so wound up and so wired up, we forget our enemy. Our enemy isn't the people. It's the power behind the people. The people are ensnared. The people are trapped. Our job is to reveal to the people 
the glorious truth of Jesus Christ and allow them to see the beauty of Christ and allow them to be saved. Now, this is not to say that we cannot stand up for what is right, and we should, but we should do it in such a way that we are kind and thoughtful and caring. We don't, we don't compromise the Word of God. That's another weapon of the enemy. Compromise the Word of God for peace. We don't compromise, but neither do we take it out and bludgeon people to death with it. My Bible circle, uh, Bruce Chamberlain, has been saying this for a while. If people are not believers in Jesus, why do you think they would care about what this book says? They don't. They don't care. So for you to say, well, the Bible, they don't care. Learn to argue better, by the way. You might want to check out my meme. My meme is awesome. Check the grammar and the spelling on it. It's fantastic. I got so tired of reading poorly sourced, poorly spelled, and poorly gr- poor gram- grammar on these memes on, on left, right, center that I made an awesome meme that basically says, please stop. At least source your material before you post something about vaccinations. Like, just source it. Just know what you're talking about. And I'm not saying, uh, don't get me, I'm not going in one way or the other. I know what my family does. It's not a biblical issue. We do what we do. Pride. High things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. So this is a good way of testing ourselves whether we're being influenced or not. Are we speaking out of a place of pride? Are we speaking from a know-it-all position? I spoke with someone who's dear to me. We vehemently disagree about a topic. I mean, we could not be more opposite. But I said, I want to hear you. I want to hear what you have to say because I have learned that the older I get, some positions that I held were not as ironclad as I thought they were. And I have realized... I can be wrong. I can be wrong. I realized I could actually be wrong. And I'm like, it shocked me and stunned me. And so when you go into a discussion with someone, go into it allowing them to be heard. Pride. When God spoke to the church about the beauty of unity, In Ephesians, in Psalm 133, we just looked at this past Wednesday, when God speaks about the beauty of unity, prior to Him saying, pursue unity, endeavor to keep the unity and the bond of peace, before He said endeavor to keep it, He said this, be lowly in heart and mind. Be lowly, be humble, Be kind. These are traits, believers, that ought to be encouraged. Humility is a virtue. And it ought to be encouraged. 
Philippians says, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection of mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. So when our church, and we have our ministries, if we're more concerned about ourselves and our ministry than we are about somebody else and their ministry, I believe you're being unduly influenced by an ungodly influencer. We should be as concerned about the worship team as we are about the preaching team, as we are about the welcome team. We should be looking to help each other, to encourage each other, to support each other, not to tear each other down, not, not, to, not to criticize each other and cut each other up. And there's a difference between constructive criticism and a spirit of criticism. And Satan powers the spirit of criticism. And so we can know that we are being whispered to if what we are hearing exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's number one. So if somebody's coming to you and they're talking to you, it could be a Christian, it could be your wife, it could be your husband, it could be your kids, it could be somebody in the church, it could be somebody outside of the church, it could be a believer, a non-believer. If they're saying things that don't line up with the Word of God, man, beware. Maybe they're just foolish. Maybe they ain't. And they're empowered. You know, another name for Satan Satan, literally, it's a title. It's like Christ. Christ is a title. Satan is a title, the Satan. It means adversary. I started the series by defining that. He is our adversary. He is our opponent. Another word that is used for the Satan or Satan is devil. How many of you can tell me this morning what the word devil means? Raise your hand if you know what the word devil means. And you can't say your husband. You can't say your wife or your kids. You know what the word devil means. What's the definition of devil? Because this is another way that we can know whether or not we're being influenced. Anybody? No takers? It means this. Slanderer. That's what the word devil means. Slanderer. Keep that in mind the next time you intend on slandering someone. You're probably being influenced by someone that you should not be listening to. So, first of all, we can know that Satan is speaking to us, whispering to us, if what we're hearing is, exalt, is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. Matthew chapter 16, then Peter took him aside, we read this last week, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Listen now, I want you to understand the significance of this phrase. Jesus has told his disciples he's going to Jerusalem. He's told them he's going to die. He's told them this must be so. He's also told them that he's going to rise again the third day. I wonder why it was only Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. I mean, they were at the graveside. They saw the risen Savior first, and they went back and told the disciples, and the disciples were like, you guys are crazy. Why? Because like a lot of churches... And this is where we as preachers shouldn't feel so bad. The disciples weren't listening. They weren't listening to him. 
And you can see it because Peter, Jesus is saying, i got to go to Jerusalem. And Peter's basically saying, over my dead body you're going to Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to die. And I won't have it. That's a good thing, isn't it? Doesn't that sound like a good thing? He wants to protect Jesus. He wants to protect his master. He wants to protect his Lord. Doesn't that sound good? On the surface. Except I want you to think about what if Peter succeeded? What if Peter succeeded in keeping Jesus from going to Jerusalem? What's the next step that would not have happened? He wouldn't have gone to the cross. He wouldn't have gone to the grave and he wouldn't have risen and we would all be dead in our sin. So on the surface, it seems like a selfless act. It seems like a good thing. But Jesus looks at him, and here's Peter saying, I'm trying to save your stinking life. And Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan, adversary. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Well, the second way we can know what we're hearing might be the adversary. You are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Now, I decided to use this imagery because I want to drive home the point. Our adversary is not our friend. And he can look cute and cuddly and beautiful. And then he will bite your head off. He will tear you limb from limb. He will shred you. He will shred your family. He will shred this church if he can. He is our enemy. So let's break this down. Are you mindful of the things of God? Or are you mindful of the things of men? There are times. Leadership Hear me. There are times when God's plan will be diametrically opposed to the normal, natural, human way of doing things. There are times when God says, this is what we need to do, and everything else says, you're out of your flipping mind. Such was Jesus going to the cross. I think some of us, if we were there, we would have done the exact same thing Peter did. Can I get an amen on that? Because what Jesus did doesn't make sense. Right? It makes no sense. Why would you do this? We got a good thing going, Jesus. We got enough food the treasury is full. We have enough followers. I mean, Mary Magdalene and her team of women entrepreneurs are killing it. We don't need to do this. And Jesus says, oh yeah? So we need to be careful. There are times, there are times when faith does look like foolishness. Peter being more concerned about Jesus being in danger was such a time. He thought he knew better. Can I say that again? Peter thought 
he knew better than Jesus. Wow. Let that sink in for a second. Now, I'm not Jesus, but I am the guy called here. And I try my best to follow Jesus as I lead this church. And I'm not above question. But I'll tell you what, man, we ought to be ready to follow where God leads. And it might look stupid or it might look boring. This is what drives me crazy about business church. Business church adopts Walt Disney's policy of big. If you you can dream it, you can do it. Or or do something so big that only God can get the credit for it. I don't see that in the Bible. I just see obey God. And sometimes God calls you to do boring things. Sometimes God calls you to do crazy things. Sometimes God calls you to do insane things. But just do what he calls you to do. Just do what he calls you to do. When the whisper leads to actions and attitudes, that draw us away from God. That draw us away from Him. Hebrews talks about sins and weights that so easily beset us. Satan will come in and he will tempt us to be more concerned about our own stuff, our own business, our own things. And church and spiritual things, if you look at a priority list in a lot of our homes, Do you know what's at the bottom of the list? God. Church. Bottom of the list. Some people think of church like they think of a big box store. Or they think of church like like a gym membership. I can go or not go. It depends on what kind of benefits they have. Like I'm a member of the Y. I go to the Y. Like, I've been there. (laughs) But I'm a member. I'm a member of the Y. It's important to me. I pay my $75 a month or whatever it is. Is that what it is, babe? Something like that. And I've done a boot camp class. Is that what it's called? Boot camp class. I've done interval training. And I've got a great goal that August 10th when Nate's football camp starts, I am doing the training with the boys and I'm going to keep up with them. It's not looking good right now. But some people treat church the way they treat their gym membership. Ah, I can give it or take it. I pay my dues. Some don't even pay their dues. They just show up when they feel like it. And and they're not even members. They just, you know, it depends on who the preacher is. It depends on how good the worship team is. It depends on this and it depends on that. And they don't understand devotion and dedication to a family. And that's what church is. It's a family. It's something that we're supposed to be living, willing to die for. We're supposed to be willing to go to bat for each other, to support each other. I saw such an awesome post on um, Adam St. Louis' Facebook page where his his, uh, Bible circle came together to help him do some work at his house. That's what we're supposed to do. So Satan comes in and says, that's really good. It's really good to do. But you know what? This is really important too. Like, 
I mean, you have to do this over here. And this is really important too over here. And this is really important too over here. And this is, next thing you know, you've been to church 20 weeks out of the year. The next thing you know, when you look at your charitable contributions, you've paid $30,000 to bills and $500 in gifts to Jesus. You've gone out to eat for, I don't know, $10,000? What's what? Trish always does the stuff, so... What's 60 bucks a week for 52 weeks? Anybody? Dave, $3,000 a year for going out to dinner and you've given Jesus 30. You're not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of men. And God is calling us to be the miracle in somebody else's life. You know that? God's calling us to be somebody else's miracle. We saw it with this missionary family that parked out back here. They were blown away by Emmanuel. I know people that took him to their house and, and fed him dinner, and they got a family of five or six. I know, I know people that just took their wallet out and said, man, the Lord's touched me. I want to give you this $100 bill just to be a blessing to you so you can take your wife out for dinner. Uh, crazy things. But so many of us are so inwardly focused that we forget church ought to be a priority. Satan whispers to us. He is the whisperer. He is the master manipulator. And if this whisperer leads you to actions and behaviors and attitudes that lead you away from God and lead you away from His church, be careful who is influencing you. I knocked on a door one day in Concord, New Hampshire. I was planting a church. And, uh, and the lady came to the door, and I said, hey, I want to invite you out to Lighthouse Baptist Church. And she said, oh, I'm a Christian. Come on in. And there was somebody else with me, so we went in, and she sat down at her table and got us some coffee, and we, we talked around the table, and I said, oh, you're a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Where, where do you go to church? Oh, I don't go to church. I don't need to go to church. I walk with God. I, I don't like churches. They're full of hypocrites. I walk with God. Me and God got something special. And I looked at her and I'm like, dude, you're so wrong. You are not walking with God. And you're like, you said that? I'm pretty sure I said that. Probably a little bit nicer. But um, the reality is, the reality is, the Bible says in Ephesians, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So we're Christians, and Jesus loves the church so much, he, he allowed himself to be killed for her. And we're like, eh, church, I don't know. Don't walk away from here putting the blinders back on to who's influencing you. Preach it! Woo! Because we should be sober. We should be vigilant. 
Because your adversary, Satan, the adversary, the devil, the slanderer, I don't go to that church because. Next thing you know, verbal vomits falling out of your mouth. Can I tell you there's no perfect church? Pastor Clow and Pastor Z both used to say this. If you find a perfect church, don't join it. Because as soon as you do, it won't be perfect anymore. And I'm like, that's so true. He, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to pull you out of the flock. He wants to divide and conquer. Be aware of the whisperer. Be alert to his devices. The last thing that I want to point out is actually several. I'm going to include this in my email this month. Anything that is out of line with God. You want to know if you're being influenced by Satan? Ask yourself that question. Is this out of line with the nature and the character of God? So sometimes, when we're being whispered to, the things that we're hearing are out of line with the nature and character of God. Some of you need to hear this. Because maybe you've fallen into sin and you've failed. If you've fallen into sin and failed, would you raise your hand? I am raising my hand. I'm not raising my hand as an illustration to you. I'm raising my hand to tell you I have fallen into sin. I have failed. If you failed and fallen into sin, will you stand up? Come on, stand up. Because you know what? There's other people in this church that need to know they're not alone. Look around you. Now, what does Satan say to you? What do you hear? What are the whispers in your mind? If it doesn't align with the character, the nature of God, don't listen to it. You're taking a shower, it's the next day, I do some of my best thinking in the shower. And the whisper I'm hearing is, I can't believe you did that again. You're such a loser. You're such an idiot. What's wrong with you? How could you? You hear these whispers. Do these whispers align with the nature and character of God? God rebukes us as necessary, but He rebukes us as children dearly loved. Dearly loved. One of my favorite old-time preachers is F.B. Mayer. And he talks about a child of God caught in the web of sin. And he said, it's like looking at a child that is sickly in your home. You have a healthy child running around playing games and then you have a child who is taken ill. Maybe they have scarlet fever. Do you look at that child and say, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get out of bed? What's wrong with you? You're ruining my day. What's wrong with you? Now some bad parents might. 
Some bad parents might say, I wish you were never born. But not God. God is the quintessential father. He is the perfect father. And Mayer went on to write, he said, God is like that mother, that nurturing mother that, that sits beside the child's bed up all night waiting for the fever to break, bringing the cold towels, bringing the fluids to the child. Why? Because he wants to see the child healed and nurtured. And you guys that are good parents, you know how many times your kids have been really sick that you sat by their bed. How many of you have been there? I used to go to Elliott Hospital every flipping day in February at 5 o'clock in the morning. And all I would do is I would sit beside Kirsten's little condo unit there where you couldn't touch her. You had to go through these little holes. And I would just sit there for the hour before work and just watch my baby. Does a voice you're hearing align with God? Oh, you loser, you idiot, you fool. What's wrong with you? Or are you being told to say that to somebody? Be careful. Be careful of how you're being influenced and who, whom you're listening to. I'm going to include some things, again, in the email that I think would be helpful as background information. But I'll tell you, some of the weapons of Satan... Some of the things that he whispers to us have to do with deception. He lies about who you are. He lies about your chances. He lies about pleasure. He lies about the nature and character of God. He instills fear. Fear of failing. Fear of falling. Fear of Him. He drives us to distraction. He pours upon us discouragement. He makes us feel as though we were alone and then He drives us into isolation. Does what you're hearing align with the nature and character of God? If it doesn't, stay tuned in two weeks. We're going to finally talk about what do I do? What do I do? How do I deal with this? Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.